you can hear a smile. And if I'm selling to someone that's in this negative frame of mind and I bring a smile, I bring positive energy to them and they feel that positive energy, they want to internalize it and really they're going to want more of it. And so they're more likely to keep you on the phone. They're more likely to engage you in conversation, but it also helps you come across as a human. Welcome to the Sales Prescription Podcast with Ron Halbert and Rusty Jensen. You know, there's all kinds of problems that can prevent you from being successful personally and professionally. And we are here to write you some highly effective and broad spectrum sales prescriptions. And all you have to do is fill them. So we are going to talk about our second episode about communication. So this is part two on communication. And we talked about some of these concepts, Ron, of the types of communication, the three types of communication. You want to recap that really quickly? Yeah. So we just talked about like verbals, paraverbals, nonverbals, what they are, why they're important. And then we got into a little bit of some paraverbal essentials, which is the primary goal of this podcast is to focus on that paraverbal portion. And we talked a little bit about speaking slowly and why that's important as well as intonation. So we're going to get into several more of these specific essentials when it comes to communication. But I was hoping we could start this one off kind of interestingly, Rusty. Rusty and I had an experience when we were in high school where we were able to make it seem like we were something that we were not. And I want Rusty to kind of tell that story and and give a little bit of background there because it's pretty hilarious and it ties right into communication quite well. You know, because because when I was in high school, when when we were in high school, kind of a funny goal and objective. You know, my my goal was to try to create the most creative dates as possible. So we'd go on dates with lots of different women. We'd hang out, spend great time together. But I was always trying to be creative, and and I wasn't a handsome guy, so I had to be extra creative. <laughs> and what we'd do is just try to have the funnest experiences and just kind of be silly and just. We'd make them like really themed and yeah, try and make it as fun as possible. It was awesome, and so you know we're we're kind of cheesy guys doing this, and and we came up with this idea of going on a date, and we called it the business lunch. And the concept behind this business lunch was that we were going to go to a fancy restaurant downtown. Which, which, by the way, was Olive Garden. Yeah, that was fancy for us. Back yeah, then. fancy for you, right? So yeah. we go to this fancy place downtown and we're going to dress up like business people and we were going to convince the people around us that we were business people yep. and that we were very important. And the power of this paraverbal communication will kind of shine through in this. So what we do is we go downtown and I had myself and my date was my business associate. So she dressed up in a great you know, business suit, had everything going on. She had her notepad, she had glasses on. I had my suit and everything going on, but then we had to take it up a notch. So we had Ron Halbert as my bodyguard, along with Zach Terry, were my bodyguards. They're wearing black suits, black ties, black shirts, and you had like radios on and sunglasses. And it was hilarious because we go into the restaurant and they come in first, the bodyguards, right? They're like, we, we need to find a table for Mr. Jensen. Right. And what, what I remember, I remember saying, I can't remember what it was. We did a bunch of research, but we're like, we need to be inside of two exits, but not near any windows or something yeah, like right. that. <laughs> and, and you're, and you're saying in a serious way, yeah. you know, there's two exits inside of windows. We can't be, I need him in the center of the restaurant. We need to be able to be positioned yeah. separately so we can see outside all this stuff. And so the, the people in the restaurant are like, what is going on? But it's convincing enough that they start to comply. So we go and we sit down and we have this business lunch. Now, everybody's looking at us like little, like, who are these kids? What are they doing? So everyone in the restaurant's kind of like, 
kind of like, like laughing, but then we started to convince them and we sat down and, and we, and we waited. And then my brother comes in to the restaurant with his bodyguard and his business associate, who's his date. And they come and sit down and everybody's like, look, there's two of them now. There's two of them. So, <laughs> so we sit down and we start talking and it was so interesting. The whole restaurant was like looking at us like, what's going on? And then I said, all right, it's time for us to get down to business. And everybody's listening to the restaurant. <laughs> and so I'm like, listen, we, we have a couple of locations picked out in the island resorts. And we're going to actually develop and deploy some of this hookah technology. So let me show you some diagrams of this hookah technology. So I was kind of passing out these papers. And here's exactly what the diagrams are. Here's the schematics. Each unit is around $10,000. And here's what we're going to do. And we start going through this whole business concept of setting up a, a tourism business in Hawaii. And we go through this and it's like this serious thing and everybody's taking notes and these people are listening to us and watching us, but because we're conveying serious situation, we sound credible. Everybody's like, Oh my gosh, are these, is this real? And everybody in the restaurant's listening. So the, the server comes up and comes to their approach and says, and Ron stops them. Excuse me. You, you, you can't talk to Mr. Jensen, bring everything to me. Right. <laughs> and so exactly. The guy was like shaking. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah. Very timid. Like what's going on. And eventually as we got through the lunch, everybody was like, wow, wow, these guys are serious. And at the end we said, okay, you know, we're, we're sitting there and I'm like, bring the bill to my associate Ronald. So he takes the bill to the bodyguard. And at the end we all sit, we all sit there and then we say, uh, and then we're saying at the table, all right, everybody on the count of three, everybody stand up at the same time. <laughs> right. Yep. And then one, two, three, everybody stands up at the same time. And somebody in the restaurant's like, oh, they stood up at the same time. <laughs> like they, everybody was, they're just like, what is this? But, but what was interesting is this, look, we're 18 year old kids, just, you know, dumb kids playing, having fun. But because of the way that we carried ourselves and what we were doing, people couldn't and didn't want to believe that it was true, but we were so much in character that people were like, I think that was real at the Olive Garden. <laughs> You know, this business launch. It's fascinating. <laughs> so the reason why this is important to talk about is because if you're starting out in sales somewhere and you're going to go work for a software company as an example, and I used to sell call center technology in my last company, and I would always tell my reps, be like, listen, you're going to talk to people who have been dealing with call center technology for 30 years, and they are going to look at you as the expert. And a lot of times it's this person's first ever job out of college and they're bright eyed and bushy tailed and excited to get to work, but they don't know anything about call center technology. Mm. And I would often get pushback like, well, if I'm supposed to talk to somebody that's been dealing with this for 30 years, how are they going to look at me as the expert? Yeah. And I would always tell them, you have to just fake it. You need to be the, like we as an organization are the expert. Yep. So you may not be, but you as an organization are right. And then beyond that, you just need to come across as an expert. Now in the role that, that they were working in sales development, it's a meeting setting role, right? So you don't need to be an expert with all the products. You're not getting into deep conversation about how we can improve ROI for that organization, right? You're just trying to schedule meetings for people that are true experts, people that have been in the industry for a long time so that they can go in and consult and help them out. Right. But a lot of times we get so caught up on, I'm not knowledgeable enough about the products or about the systems 
that we actually make ourselves incapable of doing the job. Now, truth be told, when you communicate in the right way, you can actually sound like an expert, right? Yeah. And the company is the expert. The software you're selling, if you're selling software or if you're selling pest control, they are the experts in getting rid of bugs if you're selling pest control. Yeah, so you need to derive your confidence from that. Right. So let's get into a few more of these paraverbal essentials. Like I said before, we talked about speed of speech. It needs to be slowed down. We talked about intonation and making sure that you end on downward intonations to project that confidence. The next thing we're going to talk about is volume. Okay. And, and this one's, this one's interesting because the reason it exists is because of my first phone sales job ever. Uh, in my first phone sales job, I sat next to a guy that was a shouter. People are going to hear this. They're going to be like, Oh my gosh, I I've sat next to that guy (laughs) that are just really loud on the phone. And there's this thing that happens when you're on the phone it's almost like a cultural thing. It's, it's quite strange actually, but our voice changes. It sounds more something like this. Hey, Rusty, how are you doing today? Our pitch goes up. Right. And we use this like overly fake telemarketing voice. Yeah. Like overly fake friendly kind of. Yeah. Like it's not superficial. It's not real. It's not how you really talk. In fact, you'll, you'll recognize on the phone, some people just do this in their personal life as well. Like it's something about being on the phone that makes you want to use this overly, Hey, how are you today? That overly nice voice. Right now, the problem is when you're trying to connect with another human, we've talked about this a lot. They need to see you like they see themselves as a real authentic, honest person. Yeah. And what you're doing when you use that telemarketing voice is you're dehumanizing yourself. If you've ever noticed before, like when people are jerks to some, like a teller or somebody that works at a grocery store and they're a jerk, let's, let's call Walmart employee, right? Someone is a jerk to a Walmart employee. That person is probably not a bad person. It's not like they're trying to be a jerk to another human, but what they've actually done is they have made that person the entity of Walmart. So Walmart made them angry because let's use an example. They changed the price of a product. Yeah. So this person can't go to the front of the building and yell at the building. Walmart, I'm mad at you. Right? So what they do is they pick on a person in a blue shirt and now that is no longer a person to them. Hmm. They've dehumanized them. Right. And that is now the entity of Walmart. When you use this, overly nice telemarketing voice, you're actually doing the same thing. You're dehumanizing yourself. Yeah. You're, you're showing that you're part of the entity. You're not connecting as a person. And so immediately somebody's like, they they don't respect you. It's more than being part of the entity. It is, you are the entity, the entity. Yep. You are the telemarketing entity that I hate because nobody likes telemarketers. right? Right. And it's actually a lot easier for them to be rude to you because they see you, they don't see you as a true human being. So I tried for a long time to tell people, change your voice. Don't, don't use this overly telemarketing voice. But this person I sat next to that was shouting into the phone, he would sound like that. Hey, how are you doing today? And then I would talk to him in the normal world. He would just sound like a normal person. Yeah. And I would tell him, I'd say, listen, you need to just sound more normal. He couldn't do it. Like he couldn't overcome the cultural change of just sounding normal. Yeah. The stereotype of the salesperson, he just... He couldn't. Was so embedded, it. he couldn't overcome. It. He couldn't. So, I actually found a way to fix it. 
And that was through volume. I told him, I said, I want you to speak just above a whisper like this. Just above a whisper. And what's interesting is when you talk with a lower volume, it's really hard to use a non-genuine voice. This is my genuine voice, right? I can't do the, hey, or, like I can't do that while trying to speak softly. Oh, that's a really good point. Now, it is important to note, you should not force someone to strain to hear you. So I always tell people, call a family member, your spouse, your mom, whatever, and talk to them on the phone in that low voice and make sure they can hear you very clearly. And if you need yeah. to, you can turn the mic up on your phone a yeah. little bit. You want to practice it. You want to practice that so that sure they can hear right. you clearly. But if you struggle with how you sound, if you don't sound like yourself on the phone, then lowering your volume will also help. Now in door to door sales, we would talk about lowering your volume for a different reason, right? I'm a big guy for those of you that can tell on videos. And oftentimes when you're knocking on doors, it's usually like oftentimes like a stay at home mom that answers the door. And it can be kind of scary, I think, for them to answer the door and see this big guy standing in the doorway trying to sell them something, right? And some people may think that I'm trying to do something shady. It's big and loud. And yep. So lowering my volume in that situation was intended to make sure that they understood I'm not someone that's going to cause any problems. Like, hey, I'm just here to talk to you about pest control. I'm not here to do anything crazy, right? right? So you would lower your volume for different reasons, but lowering your volume has so much power. In fact, when we talk about public speaking, it carries power as well. And if you, if you ever hear a really good speaker out there, when they get to the climax of what they're saying, when they get to the most important part, the part they want you to remember, think about what they do with their voice. It actually lowers sometimes almost to a whisper. So volume can be used to emphasize things. So if I'm telling you what your ROI is going to be, I shouldn't shout it into the phone. You're going to save a million dollars. Right. Right. That sounds like your uh, TV ad guy with a sham wow guy on TV, you know? Yes. Instead, it's going to be with this, you can save a million dollars. You're lowering your voice. And when you think about this in your own experience, as you're listening to this podcast, and you focus on when you've heard those things, it causes you to zero in when somebody gets quiet and they actually make a solid point. It causes you to zero in on what's being said and it actually engages focus. Yep. And when you look at people in an audience, when somebody is speaking, if somebody is overbearing, you'll physically see them lean back to mm-hmm. create distance. Or when somebody's talking to somebody who's really loud, they'll kind of like sh- awkwardly shuffle and actually back up. So I, I, I need to make sure the microphone comes with me, yeah, right. but they'll literally back up. And then when, when somebody starts speaking a little bit quieter, I mean, not so quiet, they can't understand, but they start speaking a little quieter, they zero in and they actually lean in Yep. and they focus on that person. And that's when your communication comes through clean and crisp. Yep. So, so the key is make sure they can hear you first, Right. But beyond that, using a lower volume will make you come across as more natural, honest, and genuine when speaking to others. So let's move on to kind of the next pair of verbal essential, which is actually tone and talk a little bit about tone. In fact, Rusty has a really good story here as it pertains to doctors. We always use doctors as an example when it comes to tone because they have a really difficult job in the sense of how they have to communicate to their patients. Some people they're telling really bad news to. Mm -hmm. 
And some people they're saying really good news, right? Like you have a healthy baby is really good news, right? We don't need to talk about the bad news, but I'm sure you can imagine there's plenty of that out there as well that doctors have to give. And the way that they present that news is with what we call an even tone. And that means your peaks and your valleys in your tone stay roughly the same. Yeah. And, and doctors have such a high standard in our society. We respect them so much. We rely on them and we trust them with some of the most critical aspects of our life. But you notice they all have the same kind of tone. And I think probably the best way to emphasize this was when we were having our third child, Laura and I, our first two children, she delivered naturally with no... Yeah, the second one, that wasn't the plan. Um, that just the baby was falling out by the time we got there. But but the first one, you know, first baby, no, no epidural, nothing. Wow. Now I remember the experience of the third, and it was just so vivid because the doctor came in, he was a great anesthesiologist, great bedside manner. And he came in, had had really good pot, really good credibility. He said, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I know exactly what to do. You're in really good hands. And, and we're going to take care of you. And we're going to make sure that you don't feel any pain. We're going to go there. And when I looked at what this guy was doing to my wife, it should shock you. I mean, you know, some people are scared of needles. Yep. Ron. He was sticking like a four inch needle into her spine. Yep. Like, I mean, think about the, you know, some people don't like, I mean, this is what's happening. And guess what he was saying as he was doing it. It was, it was amazing. And, and the trust factor. So he grabs this four inch needle that he's jamming into her spine. And this is how he says, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and and apply some of the medicine. So the first thing I'm going to do is just remove the shield. Okay. Just removing the shield now. And now what you will feel is just a little bit of pressure. Here it comes. There's the pressure. Just feel a little bit of pressure. And now the medicine's going in. We're almost done. Give it just a, just give it a couple of minutes here. Perfect. And we're good to go. Yep. And it was so calming, this even tone. Because when you talk to the doctor, but literally he's, he's putting a four inch needle in her spine. Yep. But doctors can talk to you about all kinds of things, awkward things, whatever it might be. And just say, you know, you've, so you're, you've got some kind of a rash. Let's, uh, let's take a look. Yep. Why don't you go ahead and, uh, and remove the shield and we'll discuss it. And it's, it's just calming. So when you emulate that tone, people feel that comfort. Because remember when you're selling, particularly if you're selling to solve problems, you're also talking about things that are painful. They are difficult to discuss. So when you have that kind of a tone, it has a, a pretty cool impact. Yeah. And really what you're looking for here is you're looking for your natural voice, the way you sound naturally while using even tones of communication, because that even tone is what will portray confidence and expertise in what you're discussing. Because people tie that tone, that even tone conversation. It's not not to be confused with monotone, right? Not one tone. right? But that even tone is tied to, you're an expert. I trust you. Yep. Right? And, and we sound like doctors and consultants and those people that, that leverage that tone in a beneficial way. And then just remember, that's just a societal norm. So it's universally applicable. It is. 100%. So feel free to, to use those and, and using an even tone actually gives you another advantage as well. And that is it allows for you to occasionally and very planned put in 
maximizing tones or minimizing tones, right? You shouldn't ever talk poorly about your competitors. You shouldn't ever speak negatively about others to a prospect or to a candidate or anything else, right? And so it's important though, that when you talk about the competitor, you can use a tone to emphasize that your product might be better without saying that your product is better, right? And so you can utilize that as well. Such such a powerful principle because you can't disparage other people in companies because people won't trust that. No. But, you know, just an example, I'm with Nice Systems. And if somebody brings up a competitor and says, you know, I'm really interested in their product and what they do and just say, sure, you know, they're a pretty good company and they have some good technology. But what you're going to get with Nice Systems is you're, and, and the reason why people go with Nice Systems is because of the stability the credibility and really the depth of the capabilities of our platform. Mm-hmm. And what I'm doing in that case is I'm saying, sure, you know, that's a pretty good company with, with some good technology. I'm minimizing it, but I'm not disparaging. Mm-hmm. And then I'm emphasizing, but what you get with nice systems is the stability, this depth of feature set. I'm, I'm using my, my tone to emphasize and maximize my point, And I'm minimizing my competitor without being rude. 100%. And, and, and people don't trust that. They do mm-hmm. not trust when, when a salesperson blatantly attacks a competitor. They feel like you're lying. You know what's interesting about that is you talk negatively about a company or a competitor or someone that they're using today, as an example. I hear it all the time. What usually ends up happening is the person you're talking to was part of the buying committee for that existing platform they have today, if you're selling a platform product. And so by saying oh, they suck. You're actually saying you're an idiot for choosing them. So what they do is they actually get defensive and they begin to defend your competitor. That's not a position you want to be in. No, you don't want to be in a position where it's you up against your competitor and the prospect. Right. And so oftentimes the prospect will offer up negativity about the, about the competitor. In those cases, you can, you can make a quick statement of, you know, we've heard that before, but then move on to talk about your product. Just emphasize what you're selling, right? You don't have to say anything negative about your peers, about your, your competitors to sell what you're selling, sell value, show them the value in what you sell. And there's no value in disparaging others, right? Just talk about how you can save them, how you can help them, right? So let's move on to this next pivotal essential here. It's one of my favorites to talk about. It is smiling. And I get called out on this all the time. Smiling is not a paraverbal in and of itself. However, you can hear a smile. And we've talked about this in other podcasts. The one we did with Craig Wendler is an example. One of the things that gets bigger, the more you give it away in life is emotion, Mm. right? And you got to think about like, if you're a cold caller, for example, you're making dials all day, or if you're knocking doors or something where, where someone is not expecting to hear from you, you got to think about the person that you're going to contact. So if I'm calling a receptionist, for example, do you think that it is likely that that receptionist would rather be somewhere else other than where they are right now? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Right. Most people, when they say, I love my job, that actually means something different than when they say, I love my spouse or I love my children. That's a different statement altogether. Yeah. Right. If it's not, you have other problems, but that's really what they're saying is I love my job for a job. Right. They would rather be on a beach somewhere 
you know, drinking a monster, whatever else. Right. That's, that's my style. That's your style, you know, on a beach in Mexico or, or where did you go most recently? You went to uh, uh, Panama, Panama. So on a beach in Amazing. Panama, drinking a monster. Right. But we're here at work and we're making the best of it. And we do love our jobs. Don't get me wrong. I love my job. But when I cold call a person, they would rather be somewhere else. So they're already experiencing what I would call a negative emotion just by the fact that they have to be somewhere there where they would rather not be. So I actually have the power, and this is interesting. Did you know, Rusty, that when you smile, it releases endorphins into your body that makes you happier? Hmm. It's kind of interesting. But there's actually been studies to show that when you see a smile, it releases those same endorphins into your body. When you see one. When you see it. Okay. So you have the power as a person to make other people happier, to make other people more positive, to bring joy to someone else's existence. We have that power simply through a smile, simply through being positive with other people around us. We have power over them. That's great. And if I'm selling to someone that's in this negative frame of mind and I bring a smile, I bring positive energy to them, right? And they feel that positive energy. They want to internalize it. And really, they're going to want more of it. Yes. And so they're more likely to keep you on the phone. They're more likely to engage you in conversation when they hear your smile. But it also helps you come across as a human. It helps you come across as a real person that experiences happiness and they can feel that smile. And that's and that's a cool thing. It's amazing to think about that fact that they can actually hear a smile, but they can. Because again, communication is just so deep. When you're feeling positive emotions and you're feeling positive, people will pick it up. Yep. Pick it up. It's yeah, communication is not just about words and definitions. It's about feeling. So on this next topic, uh, you know, the, the paraverbal essential number six of mirroring. Let's talk about that, Ron. Yeah, very good one. So, and, and it, there's a good segue here from, from smiling because mirroring, a big aspect of it is you want someone to believe that you are like them. Because the reality is people like people like themselves. If I see a little bit of me and you, then I'm going to trust you more because we all trust ourselves. We all you know, we all like ourselves in in certain Mm -hmm. ways. Um, Some people may not say that, but if I believe you're like me, I'm going to like you more. Right. And there was this really cool study that was done at a university, I believe it was Penn state university where they brought people in and they had them meet for an hour and they brought like people in. So if it was like a mother, they bring in another mother. If it was some, you know, college guy, you know, frat student or whatever, they bring another one, someone in like that. And they would just say, we want you just to talk to each other for an hour. And while they were talking, they were being measured on multiple capacities. And it's fascinating to see what would happen because the more that they began to connect and agree with each other and find commonalities. And by the way, if you think about what you do when you meet a new person, you look for commonalities. You look for who we might know Right. Together. Do you know this person? Do you know yeah. that? Where person? did you go to high school? Oh, do you know this person from that high school? Right. Do you know, we're trying to make connections. We, we, we're looking for connection, right? So the people that would find that connection early on and then continue to move forward with that connection, they, they would naturally begin to mirror each other. They weren't told to, but if one person was sitting a certain posture, the other person would mirror it. Right. This positive head nod where you're moving your head up and down, right? This is something that is mirrored often 
right? And in sales, if, you, if you're in person, you need to use it to your advantage because positive head nod means yes, right? So if you do this, if you do the positive head nod and you get them to do that multiple times, it's going to be a lot harder for them to say no when they've been positive head nod for the last half hour through mm-hmm. your pitch, right? They see that. Right. But even all the way down to where people would blink, they started blinking at the same time. Hmm. Their heart rates began to change and mirror each other. Kind of synchronize. Yeah. This is something that is built into humanity. This desire for connection. We are and always have been a tribal people. If you look back into the history of, of humanity, you'll see a series of different tribes or nations or, you know, that's just part of what we are is we find a group of people and we make them our people. And then from there we grow. And this concept is called neural coupling. Mm-hmm. And it naturally manifests. You'll see it anytime people are interacting with each other. They cross their legs the same way. They, they interact the same way. And as a salesperson, you have to let that happen and you have to make those connections. One of the things I would also say is when you're selling and you're talking to people, salespeople tend to have this feeling that they have to be incredibly intelligent sounding, or they have to sound super credible, or they want to use big vocabulary, or they want to kind of show that they have an expertise around connectivity design or, or whatever it might be. And they tend to use terminology that their prospects are also not using. Mm-hmm. So as a salesperson, you have to actively let yourself connect with someone, but you need to move to match them, match them in the way, in their rate of speech, mm-hmm. match them in the way they talk. Also match them in exactly what you say. If, if your product is call routing and they say contact routing, you say contact routing. Mm-hmm. If yours is, is a CRM product and they say database, <coughs> use the term database, whatever terms they use match them and use the same language and you'll be shocked at the difference because instead of trying to show people that you're smart, just start talking to them in their language and use the same kind of words, the same kind of tones, the same kind of pace, the same kind of, and, and let yourself connect with them. Yeah. And when they make that connection with you and then your competitor is over there, you know, selling out of the dictionary, you're, you're going to win. You're going to win. True. hundred percent. And, and, what I love about this is I feel like some people look at this as manipulation. Like I'm trying to manipulate my prospects. You can look at it that way. The term manipulation has a negative connotation to it, but all you're trying to do is manipulate a earlier and stronger connection with them. Is that bad? No, no. And it's more genuine. It is. As long as you have the attitude of being more genuine, of course, if your attitude is to manipulate. Yeah. But if your attitude is just to connect with people and be more genuine, which should be your goal, conscious of that. Yeah. It should be your goal to connect with people that you're working with and make friends with them, right? Like you can stay professional and have a connection with someone that's fine. And so it's important to look for those things in mirroring as well. And, and the last thing I'll say about mirroring that I thought was pretty interesting is I remember selling one time to a guy from Arkansas down South. And people from the South talk differently than people from, I'm, I'm in Utah, so I'm, I don't know if consider us the West, I guess. And then obviously they speak differently from people in the Northeast. And I would not recommend trying to copy accents. So be careful with trying to mirror that. But with accents come tendencies, right? So mm-hmm. Southerners, which I love the South, I lived there for, for 
a while in, in Georgia too. and South Carolina. Southerners are awesome. Yeah. And they have a tendency to speak more slowly, right? Northeasterners have a tendency to speak very quickly. And so when you're speaking to a Southerner, mirror it, speak a little more slowly. You're speaking to a Northeasterner. Don't go too fast. The whole yeah. first principle of speaking slowly ties in first, but maybe a little bit faster than to a Southerner. So I was speaking to this guy from Arkansas and he used this term. I'm trying to remember the exact term, but it was something about ducks in water. And I remember like scheduling a meeting for him with an AE. This is when I was a sales developer. And I wrote in the notes in Salesforce that term like ducks in water. I doubt he remembers that he even used it. Right. But in the intro to the discovery call, I used that term. And I was like, because I loved it so much. Yeah. I thought it was such a, such a funny term to use. And I could tell immediately this guy was like, oh, this is my guy. It's a connection. It's a yeah. connection. He's using my language, yep. right? Speaking um, my language. Exactly. And so there's stuff like that that you can do. And it's not manipulation if it's positive, right? Like if you're trying to bring a connection with someone and you're trying to help them genuinely, feel free to do it. Feel free to try and get that connection earlier and often by mirroring them. So uh, moving on here. So the next one is silence. Ooh, such an important one for salespeople. It is because salespeople, including myself, Rusty, you know this, we, we struggle shutting up. Yep. Do you want to keep talking? It's hard. It's hard for us. Yes. You know? So a lot of, I'm not going to say all because some, some salespeople are better than others. Right. But I feel like a lot of salespeople are extroverts. A lot of them love to hear their own voice. They love to be the talkative person in the room and that's what comes naturally to them. But you do need to shut up at times. There are times that you need to just keep your mouth closed and listen, listen very closely to what's being said around you. And so silence and using silence to your advantage is pretty huge. And I want to talk, I want to start off with one of my favorite quotes by Leonardo da Vinci, where he said, nothing strengthens authority so much as silence. Hmm. When you use silence appropriately, it will strengthen your authority. It will strengthen people's trust in you because the natural, the normal salesperson, the stereotypical salesperson is the guy that's a fast talker. He's the, hey, how can I help you today? They talk very loudly. Hey, ho. Exactly, right? And they don't stop talking. And they're really uncomfortable if there's any kind of break in a conversation. Agreed. So I, because I've been sold to, many times I'm buying software systems or whatever it might be, and people will, will talk to me and they'll ask me questions and I just need to take a second to think and they just keep talking. Yep. So, or, or they'll ask me a question and then if I don't answer quickly, they just start talking to fill the time. And it's a huge tendency of salespeople. You want to fill the conversation to keep it going because you feel like you have to carry both sides of the conversation, but it has the opposite effect actually yep. as an effect of actually shutting down the person that you're talking to. Agreed. So use silence to your advantage right? Let people talk, ask good questions, and then listen to the answers to the questions. And feel free that after you hear an answer to a question, take a moment of silence to think of how you should respond. Yeah. And, and to practically add to this, when you're talking to someone and you ask a question or you make a statement, when you use silence, you can actually put the ball in their court and you can actually encourage engagement. Mm -hmm. So if, if I'm prospecting and I call and I say, Hey, Ron, I know I'm interrupting you. I know you're kind of in the middle of something, but I have some things that I'd like to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about your contact center systems, your customer service experience. 
know, some of the technologies you have, but also some of the challenges and difficulties that you guys are experiencing. Yep. Now I want to talk. Now right. you need to talk because I just stopped. Exactly. Right. And, 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 and I'm saying that, and now you need to respond and it, it forces that engagement. It also, when you're speaking also emphasizes points mm-hmm. and it's thoughtful. You know, I had this, I had this rep I worked with. He would always be quiet. I would, I would set up discovery calls for him. He'd always be quiet and he would just sit and think. So somebody would say something to him and he'd be like, hmm, you know, uh, let's talk about that. And he would, then he would, he would go into it. And I thought it was the weirdest thing, but the prospects loved it because he seemed very thoughtful mm-hmm. and he was considering them and doing something very importantly different than most salespeople would do. So use silence, everybody. It's, uh, it's very valuable and important. The last thing we're going to talk about in uh, this podcast and about communication this round is subtext. And this actually came to fruition as a result of conversations with Rusty. Uh, most people don't know this about Rusty, but he's a former thespian. Thespian, is, yes. yes. He, uh, he was a stage actor in high school. So that's, uh, that's one thing that he was known for. And it's kind of interesting because I, I went to a play. My wife is very big into plays and we go to a lot of them. And we went to this one specifically where the main actor was fantastic and we were both blown away. My wife and I were talking in intermission about how awesome this guy was. He was just an amazing actor. And I overheard people in front of me talking about him. So I did what everyone else does and listened to the conversation in front of me. Like, sure. Right on. You know, eavesdrop. Eavesdrop a little bit. It's like those restaurant people. Yeah. And they were mentioning that this guy recently, very recently, his wife left him for his brother and took their children to a different state. And I remember thinking immediately come to my mind, like, Oh man, like I've had so many employees that have worked for me that have gone through divorces that have gone Mm. through deaths and families. They go through horrible things and it almost always impacts their work performance. Yeah. Right. And what sucks in sales is that will impact your paycheck, right? If your work performance, uh, if you're not, doing well at work, then you're not going to do well for earning money. So it's almost a double whammy. Like you have something bad happen to you and now it also affects your paycheck. And I remember thinking, how is this person so good at acting, even though he's going through what he's going through? And Mm -hmm. Rusty and I talked about this and, and we talked about this idea of subtext, which is like below the script it tells you how you should say something, right? Yep. So if you're in, is it Hamlet, the to be or not to be? Is that it, Rusty? I think so, right? Yes. So uh, if the script just says to be or not to be, but the subtext will say, uh, gets upon one knee, presents the skull and says to be or not to be. And I was never, I was never a thespian. So <laughs> I know that's not great, but oftentimes we're going to go through hard things in our lives. And I'll do a little Rocky quote here, right? Not everything in life is sunshine and rainbows. And when we go through hard things as salespeople, it affects our ability to connect with humans, connect with others because we're not on our game. Yeah. You know, and emotional intelligence is directly tied to how we feel. So if you feel terrible, it's tough to connect. It's tough to to have a good emotional intelligence with people around you. And this subtext is a lot like creating a character Mm -hmm. where you basically imprint on yourself a conceptualization of a character. This is who I am. I am a consultant. I am a, a doctor persona. I am going to 
take on this character. And the reason why it works so well is because we know when we think of a doctor, when we think of a consultant or, or a powerful, credible person, when you imprint that concept and that character on yourself, it actually controls all your paraverbals. Mm-hmm. It changes how you speak. It changes the rate of communication. It changes the level of how expert you are because you're imprinting on yourself something that you know and have seen. And just like, you know, and sales reps will do this. They will imprint on themselves the sales caricature, or this is my sales subtext. And they become the salesperson, this, this person nobody likes. But if you can imprint on yourself something different, which is I'm a doctor or consultant. I'm someone who's here to help someone. I'm, a, I'm genuinely interested in this. You create this character. It'll naturally control the rest of your parables. Mm-hmm. So put on the character and play it well when you're not in your A game. I mean, obviously, best case is you're always feeling good and positive and happy, and you can just use these paraverbals in addition to just who you are naturally. But those times when you don't feel like going to work, those times when you're going through hard times, there are ways to still be successful in sales, just like that person was still successful in acting. And it just requires a little acting on our part. Absolutely. And we thank everybody for listening to our podcast. And I think, I hope that some of these concepts and this content was very helpful for you. I know it's very powerful if we've seen it affect the performance of some of the sales reps that have worked for us as we've coached them, as we've developed them. And you really can go from 20% positive conversations to 95% positive, successful conversations. You can transform the way you connect with people and the way you communicate and the level of success that you have by many orders of magnitude if you can just focus down a little bit on these communication aspects and these paraverbal essentials that Ron teaches because we've seen it. It's powerful. So take the time to apply. Listen to your calls. Hear what's going on. Ensure that you are communicating like a human and that you're putting on the right mask and the right character that applies to people and appeals to others. So be you and communicate the way you need to and make sure you don't jump in and fall into those traps. For sure. Well, thanks everybody for taking the time and listening to the sales prescription. Thanks. Thanks.